This morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 10. So if you have a Bible, Luke 10. And uh, it's Sunday morning, right? So probably most of us would be at church this morning. And uh, so we're going to deviate just a little bit from our sort of topic that we've been talking about. We'll sort of conclude with this idea of becoming tonight, but we're going to deviate just a tiny, tiny bit this morning. Um, since it is Sunday morning, we're going to sort of do church this morning. Sound good? And uh, although we're deviating a little bit, I think the, the theme kind of con- continues and kind of talking about this idea of becoming and really the, the, what we could what we are learning is how to sustain or continue to become sort of long after camp is over. You know what I mean? Like, we'll go home and uh, like a week from now or, or a couple days from now, we'll be back in school. Do you guys go back to school tomorrow? Yeah. You'll be back in school tomorrow. Um, and then life, sorry to bring that up. Um, but like life just kind of continues and we're going and, and pretty soon like it, it might be difficult for us to, to sustain this idea of, of like spiritual growth and God transforming us and, and moving in our hearts and sometimes it's so evident and so clear in moments like this like God's working like I think again like last night where we made this profession together where we're gonna walk with Jesus no matter what and, and sometimes it's I mean it is easier for us to you know, make that profession here on the mountain with all of our friends and like making this thing. And then we go back to regular life. So how do we sustain this idea of becoming? And uh, so we're going to look at that a little bit this morning. And I've titled this message, if you take notes, we're not going to have screens this morning because I did a last minute uh, change. But uh, if you if you take notes, I've titled this message, Like a Good Neighbor. Everyone goes, State Farm is there. Yeah. Like a good neighbor is what we're going to talk about this morning. Luke chapter 10. Um, neighbor is a, a funny concept. Um, I think we'll get into this more as we get going. But um, like for me, at least, when Hannah and I first got married and we lived in our apartment, um, we didn't know like any of our neighbors and we had like five of them. We had like five neighbors and we barely knew them. We kind of were like, we did our own thing. And it's funny because Jesus tells us to like love our neighbor and we didn't even know our neighbor's names. Like anybody relate to that? Like, I don't even know my neighbor. And it's like, Jesus kind of said like, to love our neighbor. Um, When we actually introduced that song, Good Grace, to our church a couple of weeks ago, and... um, the line that says strangers, neighbors, somebody goofed up and on the screen, they put strange as neighbors. And I like, I told like our person, like, I don't, I don't think that's right. Like, but, but in our culture, like our neighbors, are like, I don't know my neighbor. They're strange. Like, yeah, I guess that strangest neighbors, like, I don't know the person. Um, but Jesus, I think really has a lot to say about neighbors and the people around us. And maybe when Jesus said, like, for us to love our neighbor, maybe he met our next door neighbor. Like, I think we can make neighbor like this big, strange concept or like neighbor is everyone. You know what I mean? Like it's your fellow man. And when it becomes everyone, it becomes no one. You know what I mean? Like I'm supposed to love my neighbor. Well, who's my neighbor? Well, it's like, well, it's anybody. And that's kind of the, the topic that we're going to look at. And we're going to see this person ask this exact 
question. So Luke chapter 10, and it's a, it's a pretty famous story. Luke 10, verse 25. And we're actually going to read through the end of the chapter. So if you didn't get your Bible reading in this morning, we're going to read quite a few verses. So you can get it in on this Sunday morning. Luke 10, verse 25. And it says, Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, him being Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? And so he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. So he says, how how do I have eternal life? And Jesus is like, well, what do you think? What's your thoughts on it? He's like, well, you should love love God with all of your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, yeah, you've answered rightly. Do this and you will live. But he, the lawyer, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? A neighbor, like, come on, is it such an ambiguous thought? Who, Who really is my neighbor? And Jesus answered and said, now notice Jesus doesn't answer the question. He tells a story. He says, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, departed him, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road and when the priest saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was and when he saw him, he came and he had compassion on him. So he went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii. Denarii is about a day's wage, so two days' wages. So you work a whole day, that paycheck at the end of the day, times two. And then he says, uh, uh, took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So now Jesus, he tells this story, doesn't answer the guy's question, then turns back to the guy and asks him a question. He says, so which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And the lawyer said, he who showed mercy on him. And then Jesus answered and said to him, go and do likewise. Now the scene ends, right? So we've got this lawyer. He asks Jesus this question. Jesus doesn't give him an answer. He tells a story, asks him a question. Scene ends. We go from conversation with the lawyer to now a living room. Look at the next scene. It says, now it happened as they went that Jesus entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Now, it may not seem like it, but I think there's definitely a connection in these two stories. The story of the Good Samaritan and this lawyer asking this question, and the story of Mary and Martha. Now, if we're honest, I think a lot of times, like if we were going verse by verse through the book of Luke, we'd probably teach one week on the Good Samaritan, and sort of the the theme for the Good Samaritan would be, go out and serve the world around you. Like, go out and be a good neighbor, Like, 
Be like State Farm. Go out there and do it. Be a good neighbor. And like you need to be nice to people. You need to, you need to make sure you're bandaging people's wounds and looking out for the broken and go out and be a good neighbor. We probably preach that one week and the next week you'd come back and we talk about Mary and Martha and we talk about, well, you just need to sit at the feet of Jesus. You need to, you need to stop running around and doing stuff and you need to just sit at the feet of Jesus. And we probably separate these two, but when you read it, before, before we had the Bible, back in the day when it was written, there was no chapters and verses. There was no section headings. It just kind of would read as one story. And I think the author, Luke, wants us to see a connection between these two stories. He wants us to see, on purpose, he wrote that the, the story of the Good Samaritan happened and then transitions right into the story of Mary and Martha. And the primary theme here between the two is neighboring is this idea of being a neighbor. Now, this first scene begins with Jesus being questioned by a lawyer, right? There he is, he's teaching, he's, he's doing his thing, and a lawyer sort of raises his hand, and he's like, pick me, ooh, 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 right? Like you do in school, and then like they don't answer, and so you're like this. You guys remember doing this in like grade school? <sighs> so there's the lawyer, he's asking a question, and Jesus is like, yeah, what's up? And he's like, he's like so, so tell me for a second. Tell me, how does one inherit eternal life? Now, this is a great question. Now, it, we're told specifically that he was trying to test Jesus, right? He's, he, he wants to figure out what is this Jesus about? How is Jesus going to answer this question about eternal life? Now, this word eternal life that he speaks of, he doesn't speak only of life after death. We think of eternal life and we think of like what happens after this life. Their understanding of life, pretty much all of culture believed that there was life after death. They, they, they all agreed on that. In our culture, we might not all agree on that. There'd be people that think that this is it. And after this, it's just like eternal darkness. I don't know. But, but most people in their culture believe that there was life after death. And so when he asks about eternal life, it kind of is like what we talked about last night, where it's this, the idea of a, of a particular quality of life that comes from God that we can have access to now. It's, it's more than just life af, after death. It's about the fullness of life. And so he says, how does one experience the fullness of life both here and now and after we breathe our last breath here on earth? How does one experience the fullness of life? And Jesus is like, well, you're a lawyer. You know the law. What do you think? How would you answer that question? And he says, well, I think you should love God with every part of your life, your, your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, every fiber of your being. And I think you should love your neighbor as yourself. This is a great answer. In fact, in another gospel, in another story, a different person asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Like, what, what is the, if you were to summarize all of the law, what would it be? And Jesus actually gives the exact same answer as this lawyer. He says, you should love the Lord your God with every fiber of your being, and you should love your neighbor as yourself. Now notice Jesus, the, the man responds, he says, love God, love people. That basically boils it down to those two things. Love God, love people. And Jesus says, yeah, just go and do that and you'll have the life that you're looking for. You'll have this idea. Go love God with every fiber of your being 
and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, when Jesus says, go and do this, the idea of go and do this means go and do this perfectly all the time. So when he says, go love God with all of your heart, he means all of your heart all the time. Not most of your heart, not some of your heart, but all of it. When he says, go love God with all of your mind, he means every thought, every word, Every, every part of your brain, every part of your mind, love God with that. Not most of it, not some of it, all of it. All of your strength, every part of it. You see what I'm saying? He's saying it's all of it. Not some of it, it's all of it. Go and love God like that and go love your neighbor as yourself all the time. Now the lawyer hears this and notice he ignores the first part of loving God. Perhaps he thinks like, I'm pretty good at that. I love God with all my heart. I love God with all my mind, all my strength, all my soul. Like, yeah. But the neighbor part, I'm not sure about this neighbor part. And so he asks, he asks Jesus, well, and it says to justify, another translation says, looking for a loophole, he says, well, who is my neighbor? And maybe if Jesus responds and says like, well, your neighbor is like your best friend, and uh, your neighbor is your family, and your neighbor is the people that think like you and act like you and believe the same thing as you, maybe this lawyer would be like, I'm actually doing pretty good. Maybe I have this eternal life that I'm looking for. I love God with all my heart, and I, I love my neighbor as myself, so maybe I'm doing all right. And so he ignores the first part. He asks, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus responds. He doesn't answer his question. He tells a story. Then Jesus proceeds to tell the most socially and racially charged story he has ever told. This story would have, would, would have caught, sucked the air out of the room as he told it. People would have been shocked and appalled as he told this story. Now, let's break down the story for just a moment. So Jesus says that there's this guy, presumably a a, a Jewish man, is going on this road from Jerusalem to Jericho or Jericho to Jerusalem. This road is a common road. In fact, it was known as a pretty dangerous road. That, that this road was known for a lot of crime, a lot of activity like this. So this man, Jewish man, walking on the road, he gets jumped by people, stripped of all his clothes, robbed of all of his good, and left naked and half dead on the side of the road. Now, luckily, I, I imagine the tone in Jesus' voice. He goes, and by chance... Coincidentally, a priest walks by. And I'm sure if you're listening to this story, like, of course, here comes the priest. The good old pastor is here to help. I mean, that's what a pastor does. He's here to help me. He's here to fix the situation. He's here to, he's here to solve my problem and to cure my pain and to do all these things. And a priest, of course, is a priest. So the priest walks by. And we're told that as he sees him, he notices him. It's not like he didn't see him. He sees him. He goes to the other side of the road and passes by and does nothing. I'm sure that people are like, wait, the priest did nothing? But okay, okay, it's the priest. He's got a lot to do. He's busy, right? In fact, uh, the, a lot of people believe that this road from Jericho to Jerusalem was the road that the priest would use if they were working in the temple. And so maybe, maybe this priest was on his way to go to work in the temple. And if this guy was dead, according to Jewish tradition and law, if this guy was dead and he went near him and approached him, he would, the priest would now be unclean and he could no longer perform his work in the temple. 
And so maybe he's on his way to work and he's like, man, if I stop, like, I'm not going to be able to do my job. I got a job to do. I got to get to, I got to get to the temple. Maybe he's running late and he can't stop. One commentator suggests if he wasn't going to the temple, but he was coming from the temple, the way it would work is that the priest would actually work for a season, for, for a, time, a period of time. Um, in the beginning of Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 2, we meet a guy named Zacchaeus or uh, Zechariah. Not Zacchaeus, that's the wee little man. Zechariah. Zechariah, who is the father of John the Baptist, and he was a priest working in the temple. And we're told that he was doing his period of time, his, his, his sort of stint in the temple, where he would work over this period of time. And after that they would work, the, uh, according to Deuteronomy 18 and Numbers 18, the priest actually got paid in food. Seems like a pretty good bargain. Uh, you get paid in food. I worked at a restaurant for a little while, and at the end of my shift, we'd always got a free meal. It was kind of nice. So you get paid in food, and imagine, so you work this period of time, you get paid in food and money and things like that, and you're on your way back home, perhaps with the food for your family, the money to pay for your things, and you're on your way back. And if this guy's dead, and you approach him, all the food that you have, all that you've been working for is now unclean and can't be given to your family. You can't eat it for yourself. All this to say is that this priest, I'm sure, had lots of excuses as to why he didn't help the guy, right? It's a priest, he's busy, he's got lots going on, he doesn't help the guy, passes by on the other side. So Jesus continues the story. He's like, well, you know, the priest, he doesn't stop, but luckily, by chance, a Levite walks by. Now, a Levite was from the same tribe uh, as the priest. The priest would come from the tribe of Levi, and Levites were an elite tribe in the nation of Israel. They were elite because unlike the rest of the tribe, they got no inheritance in the land, but their inheritance was God. That God said, like, you're not going to get a piece of property or a piece of land, but your inheritance is me. And they were this elite tribe. And maybe they thought, well, well, of course, it's not the pastor. He's too busy, but it's the Levite, like the good godly man. Surely he's going to help this guy on the side of the road. And we're told again that this Levite sees him and passes by on the other side. Huh. Well, it's not the pastor. It's not the elite God, godly man, this good guy. Who's it going to be? And maybe if you're following the story, you're like, I know what Jesus is going to do. It's not going to be the pastor. It's not going to be the good godly man. It's going to be the everyday average Joe Jewish man. Surely that's going to be the hero. Make the hero the little guy, right? Everybody likes an underdog story. Everybody likes the story of just, just the average Joe, you know, like American Idol style where he was working as a busboy and he came and he sings and now he's the superstar. Like everybody loves that story. It's going to be the everyday average Jewish man. And then G Jesus says something that would have sucked the air out of the room. He says, then all of a sudden a Samaritan walks by. And I'm sure they're going, Samaritan? Because you got to understand that Jews and Samaritans hated one another. And this, this uh, a strife towards one another went back for centuries. Uh, hundreds of years earlier, when Assyria took over Israel and led a bunch of Israelites into captivity, they left a group of Israelites in this certain area, and then they sent a bunch of, uh, of Assyrian women 
into the land where the Israelites were. And those Assyrian women began to intermarry with the Israelite men. And they began, they, 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 there was the half-breeds of Assyrian and Israelites that ultimately became the Samaritans. And so they married these pagan women. They had these kids. And they also created their own idea of worship and religion. And it was not true to what the Jews were supposed to do. It was kind of this weird half-breed, strange religion. And so Jews hated Samaritans. They did not get along at all. And so Jesus tells a story where it's not the priest, it's not the Levite, it's not the everyday average Joe Jewish man, it's the Samaritan that comes and not only helps the guy, but goes above and beyond in order to help this guy. People would have been, what kind of story is this? Like, what are you trying to say? Because if Jesus would have just made it about like the average Joe Jewish man, then the story would not have been about neighbor. It would have been about the religious system. And Jesus constantly was was poking at the religious system, wasn't he? It wasn't him and the Pharisees always going at it. And so if, if Jesus would have said like, yeah, you know, it wasn't the priest, it wasn't the Levite, it's just the regular guy. And, and do you know what? The religious system, it's messed up. You know, the Pharisees, the, the priests, it's, they don't have it right. But that's not what Jesus makes it about. It's about the Samaritan, right? It's about the, it's about this other, this person that, that hates Jews and vice versa. And Jesus says the Samaritan comes and helps. And people, they've been shocked. And then Jesus, he turns to the guy, this lawyer that asked this question. And he goes, which one do you think was a neighbor to the man that was in need? Who do you think? And I love the guy's response. He can't even say Samaritans. He's like, I guess the guy that shows mercy, was it that guy? And she's like, yeah, it was that guy. And then he says the same thing. He says, go and do likewise. Now, again, this word, go and do likewise, this idea is go out and be the perfect neighbor to every person, the people that are downcast, the people that are hurting, the people that are broken, the people that are in need. Go out and be the perfect neighbor to every single person you come in contact with all the time. That was Jesus' charge. Go and do likewise. And so the lawyer hears it. The story ends. We have no idea how this guy walks away. Maybe he went away like, whoa, that seems so difficult. Like, how am I, how am I supposed to love Samaritans? How am I supposed to love people that have been mean to me? How, 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 do I, how am I supposed to love people that hate me? How, how am I supposed to love people that are so different than me and, and so against me and don't believe the same thing as me? And maybe he went away super depressed and like, I can't do that. Maybe he went away super inspired, right? Maybe he was like, do you know what? Yeah, I'm going to be a good neighbor. I'm going to go above and beyond, and I'm going to look for every single person that's broken and hurting and damaged and marginalized and on the outside of society, and I'm going to go out of my way to be loving and godly and good to those people. Who knows how this guy went away? Whatever the case, the story ends, the scene transitions, and now all of a sudden we're in the living room of Mary and Martha, right? All of a sudden... Jesus is in this uh, situation where he uh, uh, is eating with Mary and Martha. Martha's serving. Mary's at his feet. Story ends, transitions into this other story. Now, again, going back to the beginning, 
This man, the lawyer that asked the question, assumes that he's doing fine with loving God, right? He ignores that first part, love God. And he thinks my only problem is loving my neighbor, right? Still with me? You tracking with me? I'm, I'm going somewhere with this, so just hang in there. So he, he, he's assuming everything's fine with loving God. I just need help with, with loving my neighbor. Scene ends, they're in the living room of Mary and Martha. Now, all of a sudden, picture the story. Jesus and the 12 apostles show up to Mary and Martha's house. There's no email confirmation when their flight arrives, right? There's, Jesus doesn't send ahead like, hey, just a heads up on this date. February, what's the date today? 24th? Yeah, because yesterday was 23rd. Makes sense. Emails ahead like, hey, February 24th, um, we're, me and, and the apostles, we're going to be at your house. Just a heads up. Like, it's a couple weeks from now, but we're going to be there. N- none of that. There's no text that says like, hey, on my way. There, there's no follow-up text that says here. You know how we do that? Like, we don't knock on the door. We just say here. Um, and uh, there's none of that. All of a sudden, Mary and Martha, they're living in their house. They're doing their thing. There's a knock on the door. Jesus is at the door. Jesus and 12 other guys show up into their house. I'm sure they walk into the house like, Peter's like, hey, hey what's for dinner? Like, you got anything to eat? And, and immediately, Martha goes into host. Martha goes into neighbor, right? She, she's, she's making the food. She's putting together the, the pita and the hummus. She's got the chips and salsa. She's doing all these things. She's, she's being a good neighbor. She's hosting the people. All of these things are happening. She, she's going around. She's doing, and she's being a good neighbor. Now, if we're honest for a second, who in this story, Mary or Martha, looks more like the Good Samaritan? Martha does, doesn't she? Here Martha is going and doing likewise. All of a sudden, 13 dudes walk into your house and you're like, okay, we got food. Uh, we got something back here. Who's got some, here's some hummus. Here's this, here's that. You know, you need anything to drink. You need a LaCroix. We've got some here. Whatever you need, we've got it. And she's doing her thing. She's going and doing likewise. And then she comes into the room and we're, we're told that Mary is also sitting at the feet of Jesus. So at one point, Mary was helping Martha. At one point, she was helping Martha serve, cook, clean, whatever it was. She walks in the room, and there Mary is doing nothing, sitting at the feet of Jesus. She walks in, and like classic big sibling, she walks in, she looks at Mary, she looks at Jesus, and she goes, right, Mary's right here, Jesus is here. Will you tell Mary to come and help me serve, I am in here sweating and working so hard. And, and no matter how much chip and salsa I put out, Thomas keeps eating it all. And, and I'm, she's left me to do it all alone. Tell Mary, will you tell her? She's sitting right there. She could just be like, hey, Mary, could you help me? No, no. She says, will you tell Mary to come and help me? And then Jesus responds and he goes, Martha, Martha, you are, girl, you are a mess. You're a hot mess right now. You're distracted. You are worried and anxious about so many things. And Mary, you know, Mary, she's chosen the one thing that will not be taken away from her. The one thing. And Martha's like, the what? 
Like, now, can I just tell you, like, I'm a little confused. Because if I hear the story of the Good Samaritan, and I'm supposed to go and do likewise, and then, right, I see Martha going and doing likewise, and I see Mary doing a whole lot of nothing, and yet Martha is the one doing the thing that's wrong, and Mary is right? I, th- I thought I was supposed to go and do likewise. What is happening? What is, what is going on? And Jesus says, Martha, girl, you, you're so confused right now. You're, you're worried and you're troubled and you're distracted with so many things. And, and one could argue that she is actually, Martha is being a good neighbor and a good host and like the Good Samaritan. But Jesus tells us that she's actually distracted. She's missing the mark. She, he says she's worried, literally would be anxious. And he says she is troubled or, or literally disturbed. Martha, you are disturbed right now. You are out of your mind right now. Out of my mind. I'm just, just making food, trying to be a good neighbor like you told me to do. You told me to go and do likewise. I don't understand. Now, distracted, anxious, and troubled. Now, when we, when we really think about that, although she's going and doing likewise, if Jesus says her characteristic, the qualities that she is showing is distracted, anxious, and troubled, does that actually sound like the spirit of the Good Samaritan? No, the Good Samaritan, we're told, had compassion. The Good Samaritan inconvenienced himself to the tune of three days to help this guy out. The Good Samaritan, he, he went above and beyond. He paid from his own pocket. He let him ride on his own animal above and beyond with compassion to inconvenience himself to help this other person. He was generous, but, but Martha was overwhelmed, bitter, frustrated, and anxious. But can we be honest for a second? The characteristics or the qualities that are described to Martha right here sound a lot like Christians trying to become the person that God wants them to become. They look distracted. They look anxious. They look stressed out. They look overwhelmed. They look frustrated and bitter and eventually just like, I can't, I can't do this. You ever been there where you're like, I want to walk with God. I want to do things right. But you're like, I'm working hard and nothing's happening. I'm overwhelmed. I'm crippled with anxiety. I feel like nothing is happening. I feel like no matter how hard I try, I keep having temptations and struggles and I keep failing and nothing is going the way I want it to go. And Christians oftentimes, as we try to follow God, look a lot like Martha who is distracted, anxious, and worried about many things. That we're going and we, and we want to do something for God. And we want to experience the things that God has for us. And yet we're so worried. And we don't have peace. And we're so troubled and we're so anxious and we're so just overwhelmed with life that we, we, we just give up. I don't know if I can keep going. I, I just don't know if I can keep working like this. 
There's this crippling sense of inadequacy. We get burnt out, frustrated, disappointed with people, bitter, and eventually over it. Here's the point. If you take notes, write this down. This is important. This is, what I'm, this is the point and the connection between the two stories. It is impossible to love your neighbor as you are called without first loving God above all else. I'm going to say that again. It is impossible to love your neighbor as you are called without first loving God above all else. That's the connection here, and that's the point of these two stories. Remember, the lawyer disregards his need to love God above all else. He says, what's, what's, how do I get eternal life? He says, well, what do you think of it? He says, love God above all else and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God above all got it. Who's my neighbor? Like, let's talk about neighbor. That seems difficult. And Jesus tells the story and says, go and do likewise. Again, disregarding the need to love God, focuses only on the part of neighbor. Jesus says, go and do likewise. Scene transition. Here is Martha loving her neighbor, but missing out on the part of loving God above all else. And because she's trying to serve without first sitting like Mary, she is distracted, she is overwhelmed, she is anxious, she is burnt out, she's confused. And Jesus says, Mary, you have chosen the better thing because the source, the strength for you to be able to be the person that God wants you to be and the strength for you to go out and love people like God has called you to love people and the source for you to continue walking with Jesus is not based upon your ability to go and do likewise. It is based upon your ability to stop and sit with Jesus. It is not about, okay, I just got to go and work really, really hard and just, I guess, love my neighbor as myself and just, just go and do likewise. Jesus says, you've got to learn like Mary to be in the presence of God. Martha is attempting to love people without first and foremost loving God. And Jesus tells us that she is missing the point and Mary's doing it right. Mary has chosen the one thing that is needed because the reality is the only way to do anything for God is to first be with God. Because listen, God didn't hire you, he adopted you. God never chose you because he's like, man, we just, we just need another able-bodied individual. Like who here, who can lift like maybe about 25 pounds? You, okay, cool. Can you stack chairs too? Can you, can you, can you pick up trash? Okay. Yeah, okay, you'll work. Yeah, come with me. I need you. No, God never hired you. He, he never like looked at your resume and was like, yeah, okay, this will work. We can work with this. They, they need a little improvement here, but I think we can do something with this. No, God didn't hire you. He didn't look at you and be like, man, we just, we need, a, we need a few more guys and girls on the team. No, he adopted you into his family. He, he, he pulled a seat up at the table for you. He said, you belong here. He said, now you, 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 don't, just, you don't just have something to do. You're actually a part of the family of God. You are now a child of God. You belong to him. And more than anything else, he just wants relationship with you. He wants to know you. He, don't want you, he doesn't want you to just do stuff for him and be busy. 
He wants you to actually know him. He wants you to have relationship with him. And so he looks at Mary and he looks at Martha and he says, Martha, girl, you're a mess. Mary has chosen the better thing. Mary has chosen the one thing that is needed. Now, before we close, and I'm almost done. You guys still with me? How long do I have? Just keep going until I'm done. Five minutes. All right, I can do it in five minutes. And then he said, I don't know. So let's do, we'll do seven minutes. All right, here we go. Seven minutes. So Jesus looks at Martha and he says, he says you're worried and troubled. Mary has chosen the one thing that's needed. Now it'd be easy for me to just stop right here and be like, so do you know what? You just need to, you need to just sit with Jesus, right? You just need to sit with Jesus. And so I guess what this means is like, um, you know, we just need to have longer devotion times, I guess. Like the point of this message is for you, like maybe you had like five or eight minute devotion times. Like you need to ramp it up to like 15 minutes, sit with Jesus. All right, God bless you guys. Like I, I, hear, I hear this idea of like sitting with Jesus and I'm like, what does that even mean? Like, does that mean like I just sit crisscross applesauce and like close my eyes and just like, I'm sitting with Jesus and like, kumbaya, sitting with Jesus. I'm not like Mary. Jesus isn't at my house for dinner. And I have the obvious choice of like either going into the other room and making him food or just sitting on the couch and just like playing Fortnite with him. I don't have that option. I don't get that choice. So what does it mean? What does it mean to sit with Jesus? How do we choose the one thing that Mary has chosen? That's a good question, isn't it? Because if not, then we're, we, I think a lot of times, and I've heard this text taught where it's like, just learn to sit with Jesus. And you're like, but I don't, I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. I love that Jesus says that word, the one thing. Jesus says the one thing is needed. I want to give you three one things real quick and we'll be done. Three one things. When Jesus says the one thing that is needed, I think this will help us learn to sit with Jesus. And really, it will be an evidence for us that we are sitting with Jesus, the source and strength that we need in order to be the people that God wants us to be. In order for us to to sit with Jesus, to enjoy his presence, to be where he is, three one things. This, This phrase, one thing, it's used a few times throughout Scripture and it helps us see, I think, what it looks like to sit with Jesus. The first one, you could write this down, is to keep growing. Keep growing. This one thing that we need in order to be like Mary, to choose the one thing, we need to keep growing. Listen to this. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. The Apostle Paul writes, he says, Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. He says, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has took hold of me. He says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. Listen to this.